What's good, everybody? Welcome back to Routine Jumper Radio. I am your host, Jalen Dixon. I am just a guy with a mic that likes talking basketball. And today we have a ton on the docket. So let's get right into it. Today we are going to be discussing load management, NBA All-Star Weekend, and what's ahead for NBA All-Star Weekend moving forward. And we're going to get into MVP candidates. So let's actually start with All-Star Weekend. Coming off of All-Star Weekend, which was very amazing to watch, by the way, the festivities still are one of those things that are hit or miss depending on what you're what you favor. But I still think that this year in particular, there was a little bit more flavor to the events than we're used to. The Utah Jazz team won the skills challenge in Salt Lake City. Damian Lillard represents his alma mater, Weber State, as he shoots the lights out to take out not one, but two Indiana Pacers in the three-point shootout contest. And then you have Mac McClung, who literally is signed to a two-way contract. My man is in between the G League and the NBA, comes in and shuts down the entire stadium with his insane dunk contest run to take down Trey Murphy and I believe he also brought a little bit of life back to the dunk contest something that the dunk contest desperately needed with the way things have been the last couple of years and then of course you have Jason Tatum winning the all-star MVP but that brings us to the to the question of like what's next for the all-star weekend because you're starting to see a situation where the all-star weekend is becoming less and less of a real spectacle for NBA fans. Yes, you have your NBA nerds, your NBA super fans who are, of course, going to be locked in because any version of NBA basketball is going to feed their fix, right? But we all understand that these events are starting to have their limitations in terms of what they really bring to the table in terms of us as fans being able to enjoy ourselves. One of the notable things that was brought up at All-Star Weekend was actually by Kevin Durant, who did not participate due to his injury, of course, but had something very, I think, very telling to say about the state of All-Star Weekend and the dunk contest in particular. He says, we need Zion. We need Ja. I think the stars come back and just add. I think the stars come back. And just add, because I mean, it used to feel like there were stars and stars in it every year when I was a kid. All the best players in the league. Those guys I liked were in the dunk dunk contest. Mac McClung. That's crazy that they that 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 they are doing that now. No shade. But what are we doing? And Mac is an outstanding athlete. But what are we doing? It used to be sacred to be a part of All-Star Weekend. Last year, we had G-leaguers come in and play in the rookie game. Now, like, what are we doing? Now, I apologize my reading, but I also realized that this website's scripting for this in terms of their transcripting, very horrible. They left out a couple of things, so bear with me. But the premise of what Kevin Durant is saying is All-Star Weekend is no longer as It's no longer about all-stars to that extent anymore, I feel like, is what he's trying to portray. If you look at every single event, there typically aren't guys that are considered as 
all-star or all-NBA caliber dudes participating in these events as frequently. Now, of course, you have the three-point shooting contest. Guys like Tyrese Halliburton, Damian Lillard did participate. We've had guys in the past like Klay Thompson, like Stephen Curry, and others participate. The skills challenge, not necessarily more of an all-star related event. And the dunk contest has been more so utilized as a platform for young players who don't have a name to create a name for themselves using this huge stage that is a historic event in the dunk contest. Everybody remembers the Superman dunk with Hamadou Diallo. Now we have Mac McClung who enters the dunk contest, wins the dunk contest, and now as a two-way player has a contract with Puma. I think that what Kevin Durant is trying to say is that the, the star power that is supposed to evoke itself within the All-Star Weekend is not nearly as imprinted on All-Star Weekend as it used to be. You even look at the circumstances of the All-Star game, right? Even with them adding things like the Elam ending and the draft, there's a lot of wonky elements to it. For example, Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James both injured their hands, barely played for most of the game. One of those things where the two captains of their respective all-star teams didn't even see the second half. I think that there's a good point to be made about the state of the all-star game. And I think it also can be pointed out through the lens of looking at the NFL. You look at what the NFL transitioned to do in terms of the all-star game itself, right? They turned it into flag football. The players themselves did not necessarily enjoy this premise as much. All-Star Weekend, the Pro Bowl, these are supposed to be culminations of the greatest players in the league at that time competing at a high level. Now, of course, you fear things like injury and things of that nature, more so in the NBA than the NFL because of when it's placed. You look at the circumstances and you say, you don't want to face an injury that could affect our playoff or our championship chances due to an all-star game. I completely agree. I also think that there's a lot of superstars that are afraid to have their ego hurt by the idea of joining the, the dunk contest and not winning. Everybody remembers when LeBron James infamously put his name in the dunk contest the year before he decided, before he made the decision in which he followed up by not participating. Over this past weekend, Zion Williamson was another guy who recently preliminarily put his, preliminarily put his name in next year's dunk contest. I think this is important to take into consideration when you think about guys like LeBron James and think about guys like Zion Williamson, where you wonder whether or not you can take their word to consideration when talking about something as illustrious as the dunk contest. Because if you look throughout NBA history, it's not just the greatest dunkers have participated. Some of the greatest players in NBA history have participated in the dunk contest. No offense to the skills challenge, no offense to the three-point challenge, but the dunk contest is single-handedly the staple 
of what makes All-Star Weekend so great. Michael Jordan's participated. Kobe Bryant has participated. Dr. J has participated. We saw Vince Carter obviously take things over. And honestly, I think he probably raised the bar to a level that I still believe might not have been reached since then outside of probably the matchup between Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon. I, I think that is probably the last strong dunk contest that we've had um, in the last 10 years. And I think that goes to tell you that All-Star Weekend is going to need another element to it in order for fans, casual fans, as well as super fans to be able to re-engage to the highest degree when it comes to All-Star Weekend. I was looking at polls on YouTube and different forums about whether or not people were planning on watching the all-star game and you'd see polls be 51 49 and it, of course in favor of watching the game but the fact that there's that many people that are not interested in watching the game the fact that there's that many people that aren't interested in watching the dunk contest and are more interested in watching the highlights after and simply seeing who wins i think that goes to show the dissatisfactory that All-Star Weekend has started to provide for the NBA fan. And there's a couple of ideas that have obviously been thrown out there. The Elam ending was the start of it. The Kobe Bryant MVP change was a huge one. Another thing that has been brought up as of recent was the idea of a big-time one-on-one tournament, something that I think would actually be super dope to watch amongst a lot of the skill guys in the NBA. But I think a huge thing that needs to be taken into consideration is where do superstars lie when it comes to these kind of events? When it comes to the dunk contest, when it comes to the idea of a 1v1 tournament, NBA superstars have to ask themselves whether or not they have the balls to show up and show out on one of the biggest stages in an NBA calendar year and put up against some of the greatest in the league in what is supposed to be a showman event. Because it's different from showing out in the playoffs. It's different from showing up in that last game or that last week push towards the postseason. All-Star Weekend, in terms of its overall notoriety in the NBA calendar, there are about four or five primary dates in the NBA that matter the most. Opening night, the Christmas games, the NBA trade deadline, All-Star Weekend, you could argue the start of the playoffs, but I would also say that that the, really the fifth one is really the NBA Finals. Those are like the five marquee dates. Six if you want to count the start of the NBA playoffs, but we all know that when that time comes, that's just a gear switch. But in terms of major national level events, everybody is tuning in on a regular basis every single season. Those are the five dates that everybody locks in their calendar in terms of what's going to go on. Some people skip the first round of the NBA playoffs, but most NBA super fans, most NBA casuals even don't skip the finals. Nonetheless, 
With those five events being the main ones, All-Star Weekend ends up being one of those bigger platforms where you have to show up and show out. And the question is whether or not superstar caliber players are willing to not only put their pride, but also to a certain level of dignity on the line to have to play in an environment where somebody is able to actively Prove whether they are or are not as good as you, as opposed to the team element in which your team might produce at a higher level than the opposing player's team. But you are able to hide the fact that you may be underperform in any given in any given game. So I think that's something really important to take into consideration, because I think that the state of superstardom and where people in that in that that echelon stand on these kind of things are going to determine the future of the all-star weekend because unfortunately despite the fact that i think there are a couple of elements that make all-star weekend still one of the most coveted events in the nba we are headed down a pretty tough path in terms of being able to maintain the hype and the notoriety around the events associated with all-star weekend so i thought that was just something really important to talk about because i think that we're moving towards something where the nba is going to be forced to make yet another change in order to reinvoke this love for events that gravitate nba fans from all walks of life the way that all-star does that brings me to something else that i want to talk about related to all-star players that actually came from an all-star in Anthony Edwards, who was actually the first pick from LeBron James for his team. And in a presser at All-Star Weekend, he was asked if there was anything that he'd like to see changed within the league. And he had an immediate answer. And I like this answer for a young guy as a dude who is still developing as a player and also has had his work ethic question probably since before he was even drafted and this is what he had to say probably just all the guys sitting and resting that's the only thing i probably don't like just play man if you're 80 percent, 70 percent, you gotta play i don't like all the sitting missing games and stuff like that these people might have enough money to come to one game you know what i'm saying that might be the game they come to and you're sitting out. I take pride in trying to play every game because you never know if there's one fan that might never see me play and I'm trying to play. Now, I emphasize that last sentence again. I'll read it again. I take pride in trying to play every game because you never know if there's one fan that might never have seen me play and I'm trying to play. I think that is a huge statement by a young guy still looking to prove himself in the league, even with being elected as an all-star reserve. This is a guy who is still trying to prove to front offices, to the league, to his peers, that he does have the work ethic to be an all-star, that he does have the talent and ability to be an all-NBA caliber player. Anthony Edwards is telling the league 
telling young guys, telling veterans that the product on the floor is determined by your energy and effort level. And things like load management, something that the NBA CBA is even having to take into consideration in terms of how to deal with it, because obviously just submitting fines and things of that nature to teams is not enough to deter guys from being able to sit out due to load management. I think that this falls into the realm of the superstar decisions, like I mentioned a second ago, talking about All-Star Weekend. Superstars carry this league. Let me say that again. Superstars carry this league. Everyone loves a feel-good story. Everybody loves the guy who recovers from an injury and bounces back and has an amazing season. Everyone loves the dude who comes out of absolutely nowhere, goes on a tear, and puts the NBA on notice. But what brings in revenue, what brings eyeballs to the product is the play and the activity of all-star, all-NBA, and MVP caliber players and when those guys don't don't play people who enjoy this game slowly fall out of love with the product itself because the truth is we're all going to find somebody to gravitate to we're all going to find a team to gravitate to but we all know that there are those players in the league with this immense talent and skill that you just turn on your TV or you go to a stadium and you say, I came here to see blank. I turned this game on because I want to see such and such play. And when that product does not provide you with that ability, it does make you question where you stand as a fan in terms of the makeup of all of this, because the product is for fans, yet all-star caliber players are focused more on their individuality and, quote-unquote, what's best for them. Now, if you're nursing an injury, a significant injury, an injury that's one of those muscle injuries that if you re-aggravate it, you're down to probably end up injured again and probably for more significant time. By all means, that is an acceptable play to not play games for a while and to rest. But I think a great point that he made is if you're 80%, if you're 70%, you got to play. Something that I think is a, a question I want to pose to people is what happened to the pride of playing all 82? You know what I mean? Is it simply out of the fact that players are so alienated by the idea of pushing for less games during the regular season that they've decided to take it into their own hands to create a shortened schedule for themselves? I know that this is something that has become popularized in order to keep players healthy for the postseason. But it has completely devalued the regular season to the point that it has forced the play-in game 
to act as a way to kick teams back in the gear. Like, we have to remember that. The play-in game, the play-in tournament was implemented as a way to help bring more relevance to the regular season. Unfortunately, I don't think that load management is going to stop if it is strictly up to the players making decisions under the current circumstances that the NBA faces right now. I think the I think that although Edwards has a point that all-star players are utilizing load management as a crutch to get through the regular season, I am in the camp of people who believe that 82 games is too much. If you look at the circumstances of the NBA, no casual fan even is able to catch half of 82 games for their respective uh, their for respective teams. NBA analysts typically do not even catch all 82 games unless you're considered as a beat reporter for a particular organization. Otherwise, if you're just a NBA analyst, unless you are team oriented, you typically are not focusing on all 82 games for all 30 franchises. When you look at when you look at the NBA from an analytical perspective, you're usually looking at it in bunches and sample sizes. A lot of things have even changed to the point that even casual fans are getting access to being able to find highlights of possessions specifically. So now there are websites that allow you to be able to go and find your favorite player, go to a particular game that they played in and just watch their possessions and how they individually performed. That takes away from even the consumer product of people watching highlights after the game has concluded. Because you might not want to see every single thing that happened in the game that dictated the outcome. You might just want to see what your favorite player did, especially with the rise of fantasy basketball. And, of course, sports betting. <laughs> Duh. Sports betting, of course, is also very much influenced how the consumer product of the NBA is nowadays. So I think that comes to bring me to this conclusion that the NBA is in a spot where they are going to have to cater to superstars more and more as the years go along if they have any hopes of truly bringing this game back to the full prominence that I think it once had from a consumer perspective. I think that we are in an NBA right now where the talent level is at an all-time high. But the activity from the fan bases around the NBA and the engagement of fans in terms of the NBA is quickly declining. And it is due to the fact that I think that the all-star agenda and the NBA fandom agendas are not intertwined. And of course, you can't sell a product without knowing what your customer wants. We all know that. Customers want all-stars. Customers want big games. Customers want matchups that are must-see TV. 
And when guys sit, you decrease the likelihood of being able to see that on any given night. So I think that the NBA is in a weird spot right now because we just saw with the recent trades of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving that star power and star influence is at an all-time high. The ability to enact what is now being considered as pre-agency, this idea of signing a long-term contract, feeling being able to secure your money, feeling out the state of your team, and if it is not in the area that you would like it to be at, Simply force the, the organization's hand and get traded to where you want to go. We've already seen the effectiveness, the effectiveness of this on a on a really considerable basis just over the last couple of seasons. Kevin Durant, Kyrie at the top of that list. Anthony Davis, obviously somebody that did that recently um, in a less aggressive manner. Paul George also did this in his route to getting to the L.A. Clippers. All-star and MVP caliber players have had the most power we've ever seen in professional sports in recent memory. And I think, unfortunately, for the league offices, that is going to have to continue to spike if, if we want to see an uptick in the overall product on the floor on every given night. So if that means shortening the regular season in order to produce a better product where stars feel more engaged and feel more incentivized to play, you might have to do that. I think on the flip side, I think that also will lead to things like superstars being more willing to be active in All-Star Weekend. I think that makes it where superstars are more willing to play hard on a night-to-night -night basis, where we won't see 20 and 30-point blowouts day in and day out, simply out of the fact that after a team goes down by 15, they take the starters out and they kind of let the game play out and see how things go, as opposed to seeing a truly competitive basketball game. Superstars make this league. NBA superstars make this league. NBA superstars are in the driver's seat and NBA superstars are going to be the deciding factor in making this game continue to get better beyond just the talent that we know they all bring to the table. And I think that is huge when you talk about the state of the game and what is going to be necessary in order to keep things on the up and up and keeping things in the realm of talking about all-stars and MVPs. I want to transition to the last topic today, which is the state of the MB MVP race. I believe that the MVP race is shoehorned to three guys in particular. And I believe that one of these three guys is going to win MVP and there is nobody else that is going to usurp these top three. The top three guys in my MVP candidacy in this order is Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, and Jason Tatum. Now I know what people are thinking. Nikola Jokic is at the top of the MV at the MVP ladder according to the KiaNBA.com ladder. Nikola Jokic is favored 
due to I think in the ESPN straw poll uh, by Tim Bontemps, Nikola Jokic was by far the leading candidate in first place for MVP. And I think in a way there's still a likelihood that Nikola Jokic does end up first and comes out with his third straight MVP. If I had a vote, I think I would pick him as my MVP. But I do believe that people are starting to gravitate towards Giannis Antetokounmpo because of the two-way ability and the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks have been able to play at such a high level while overcoming the fact that they were missing their co-star in Chris Middleton for so long. And since getting Chris Middleton back, they've arguably been the best team in the, in the entire NBA, if we're being real. If we're being real, since the Milwaukee Bucks have gotten Chris Middleton back in the fray of things, playing regular rotational minutes, the Milwaukee Bucks have looked like one of the better teams in the NBA, and they got Drake Jay Crowder in a trade from the Brooklyn Nets after the Brooklyn Nets got them from got him from the Phoenix Suns. Now, with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Jay Crowder, and Brooke Lopez, with guys like Bobby Portis coming off the bench, they look like a team with a solid seven to eight man roster that can guard, score, and hang specifically with any team in the entire playoff picture. I think that many people are still worried about what Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets look like in a playoff setting. I think people are still worried about what if what if they match up against a pace and space team like the Golden State Warriors? What if they match up against a highly switch worthy team like the LA Clippers? Who the Denver Nuggets do have their number, by the way, but the switchability of the LA Clippers is something that gives them a little bit cause to pause with all the wing depth that they have and ability to guard down on the perimeter. What if they face a team, again, another, another uh pace and space team like the Memphis Grizzlies? who like to get up and down. Even a team like the Dallas Mavericks are kind of a scary matchup for the Denver Nuggets because they have two of the better fourth quarter closers in the league in Luka Doncic, who is one of the better fourth quarter scorers, and Kyrie Irving, who is one of the better scorers in terms of getting baskets in clutch situations. So I think a lot more people are worried about what Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets will look like come postseason time, as opposed to Mil Milwaukee, where people have a lot more faith in what they have to what they have and the translatability of what they have heading into the postseason. The MVP race comes down to these three people in Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, and Jason Tatum. The push for Nikola Jokic is that the stats are out of this world. The NBA nerds will say, name a statistical category. Nikola Jokic probably is the front runner somewhere or somewhere in the top three in most of the positive categories that are in the big, very large analytical data tree. The case for Giannis Antetokounmpo is obviously his two-way play. The case for Jason Tatum is that he is a part of and the, the lead man for the team that has pretty much been the best team in the league 
especially record-wise, from start to finish so far in the NBA. All three of these guys have superb cases for the MVP. And the truth is that the MVP award is going to go through these three guys. I'm sorry, Joel Embiid. I'm sorry, Luka Doncic. I'm sorry, John Morant. I'm sorry, Kevin Durant, who I had as a front runner for the for the uh, award a couple of weeks into the season after he after I saw the way he was playing. He was a guy that despite the fact that I had Nikola Jokic as a dude who really was deserving of it. Kevin Durant was right there behind him in a favorable position to usurp him at any point. Now, I think that there's an interchangeable three where Nikola Jokic probably still should be the odds on favorite. But I don't think that this threesome is going to change. As we make our push towards the final days of the regular season. So with that being the case. I want to end on this concept of what does. MVP, what does what does any of the awards in the league mean this season? I believe that especially when it comes to most improved player and MVP, that this is one of the best seasons in terms of indicating the future of things like who is going to be the best player in the world? Who are going to be considered some of the best guys long-term at their given positions? What does it take to truly develop a player into an all-star or an all-NBA caliber guy? I think that... Who wins MVP and who ends up winning most improved player are going to be huge indicators that help us get a better understanding of the trajectory of the talent pool within the NBA. Because this is the second season. Or I would say back to back. This is the this is a back to back season of seeing someone who is considered as a rising star actively take that rising star status and vault themselves not just into an all-star caliber player but into an all nba caliber player when i'm talking about M mip for more particularly you talk about a guy like shea gildas alexander or tyrese halliburton two guys that were probably considered as having mm, solid upside all-star caliber talent but maybe guys that would always be fringe all-stars, but not necessarily make the game. You can make the make a decent push for either or both of those guys to make the all-NBA team this year. Like, seriously. I think you can make a legit case that Shea Gilders-Alexander and Tyrese Halliburton could both make all NBA teams this season after both not even being all-stars last year. That's the trend that I think we're going to be working towards. You have to remember that some of the greatest superstars we have in this league are going to slowly start to phase out. 
And with that being the case, the next generation of superstars are going to be birthed, so to speak, every season through this individual development. And with every guy that bursts onto the scene, another mantle is handed over for who the best guard is in the league, who the best shooting guard is, who the best point guard is, who the best point forward is, who's the best big man in the league. And I'm hoping that with this next generation of all-stars, superstar caliber guys, that we see them carry this game further and further, not just with the fact that I believe that the skill level across the league continues to skyrocket, but be because I believe that the next generation of faces in the NBA are going to be so crucial. Again, going back to the all-star thing that I talked about, and even going back to all-star players playing throughout the regular season, the next generations of faces in the NBA are going to determine whether or not we are going to have a lull period because everybody remembers the little small gap of disappointment within the NBA season from a fandom perspective following the retirement of Michael Jordan. There's a eeny weeny gap there where the NBA was just in a very weird place from a popularity perspective. And LeBron James is up there. Stephen Curry is up there. Kevin Durant is up there. Chris Paul is up there. Some of the greatest players in our league are slowly on their way out. And this next generation of all-stars is not only going to dictate where this league goes from a games played perspective or from an all-star weekend perspective, but they are going to be the next generation of faces that gravitate old and new fans alike to remaining diehards for this game year in and year out. So I'm intrigued to see where things go. I am very interested about what's going to happen in terms of the fate of the All-Star Weekend, in terms of the fate of the NBA regular season and the state of it. Of course, there's things like the 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 in-game tournament that's being brought up the play-in tournament itself has already been a very great element added to the back end of the regular season there are definitely some much needed changes for the nba to reassert itself as a powerhouse amongst national sports i think that the nba is still somewhere somewhere amongst the top but I think that the slow decline that it's undergoing is due to the fact that they are going to have to be willing to continually adapt. And it involves adapting to your superstars. The best way for the NBA to continue to grow and continue. The best way for the NBA to continue to grow and build in a way that gravitates fans and continues to grow this game is they are going to have to continue down this path of catering 
to their superstars. Because like I said at the top, superstars are what make this game great. So with that being the case, guys, this is going to be the conclusion of this episode of Routine Jumper Radio. Remember, you can catch me live on Mondays and Wednesdays at 1030 a.m. on the AMP Live Radio app. Or you can check me out on all podcast streaming platforms for the recording afterwards. Really would appreciate it if you guys continue to like, comment, subscribe, follow the Routine Jumper page on Instagram and TikTok, as well as my individual page, The Knockdown J on both of those platforms as well. We'll be expanding to YouTube and be launching a blog within the coming weeks. So stay tuned for that as well. And with that, until next time, peace.